Why'd you leave the ketchup on the table? Why did you leave the ketchup on the table? That is a misheard lyric from the band System of a Down and the song is Chop Suey exclamation mark from 2001, not a space odyssey. The correct line should be, why'd you leave the keys up on the table? Why'd you leave the keys up on the table? Someone leaving their keys up, that can be kind of annoying. I actually thought the correct line of this was kids up, as in they were leaving their children up on the table, which makes zero sense. If you have a mistaken or misheard lyric, Mondegreens, as they're known, please tweet us at VCV Podcast on Twitter. VCV, now what does that stand for, you're asking? I'm about to tell you. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're not new, well, I will provide you the exact same amount of welcome. Welcoming is not exclusive to newcomers. Welcome to Verse Chorus Verse, the songwriter's podcast, a conversation about ideas, process and songs. I'm your host today and always, Jack James. Thank you for listening to this episode, episode number two. Today my guest is Martin John Henry, frontman of DeRosa, an indie rock band from Glasgow on the legendary Chemical Underground label and a new record out on Mogwai's rock action label. Sideman of Henry Fleetwood, a harp duo with Gillian Fleetwood of State Broadcasters, and Only Man of Martin John Henry, his solo project. Three projects, he also has three names, which usually means that person is an assassin. <laughs> well, Martin John Henry, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks very much. Are you going to kill me and or any townspeople from a clock tower? Uh, no, no. Uh, I might slay you with some guitar mm. riffs later. Any System of a Down guitar riffs? <laughs> Certainly not. Are you a fan of that band at all? No. <laughs> Were you familiar with that lyric? Uh, no, no, it, was, it just made me laugh. I thought it might have been a Nirvana one at first. But, mm. uh, Nirvana was a theme song. That's yeah, the song that I, was called Verse, Chorus, Verse. I, I love Nirvana. So. Mm. Listeners know, even from one episode, I like to begin with my highest quality question, put my best foot forward. So with that in mind, what comes first? Music or lyrics? Music. Um, always. <laughs> For you, every time. I think, number one, it was because Kurt Cobain always said that, mm. funnily enough. And that was what made me, when I was a wee guy, want to make music. I, I never feel schooled enough in writing words that I would ever be confident enough to say yeah. words first, you know? Mm. You need that. Well, first of all, thank you for answering that seriously, (laughs) because that's a joke question. Uh, I'm frustrated by these types of questions that musicians get in interviews. Cole Porter actually answered this in an interview and said, what comes first, music or lyrics? He said, the phone call. Right. Which I've told this on stage. I've got a song called Phone Numbers. I'll say this a bit beforehand. And for the first few months of telling that story, I thought the phone call was his girlfriend breaking up with him like it's some sad event that was inspiring a song but apparently it was his publisher and it was him saying write a few more songs right yeah because we need some more money <laughs> that's kind of what i thought when you said it at first i thought i must right? be quite a cynic i thought yeah he's probably talking about an order for the song you know oh like right saying, okay uh, write me a song about yeah a record label or something so I, again, I think that's what most people think, but just not me. I think children are on tables and uh, girlfriends are calling to break up. But yeah, that that's a very cliched question. There's maybe a non-cliched 
version of this, which is just flipping around what comes last? Hmm. Uh, in terms of <laughs> probably structure. Um, oh, structure? Not not even like harmonies or anything <laughs> like that. Just song structure. Uh, and so so poor and lazy when it comes to song structure. Mm. That um, I've heard of verse, chorus, verse. That's, yeah. Uh, so it's quite interesting. It's that Nirvana thing because mm. that was pretty much um, that's where I checked out when I was learning a bit, <laughs> right. a bit song structure. There's verses, there's choruses, <laughs> there's no bridges. So that's why I play in a band, because, and with other people, I've only done one solo album, because mm. that was a good learning experience, because it made me um, be more structured and, and think more inventively about how to put things together on my own. But that's the great thing about being in a band, um, having other people that can... That are interested in structure. <laughs> so it was the ba- your bandmates on Derosa then that were uh, in charge of the structure, as it yeah, were. Yeah, so that's yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a our drummer Neil is a, he's got an amazing kind of mind for the the kind of scaffolding of a song, um, and really when it comes to Derosa stuff, I, I just let him run with it because he's just his ideas are so much more sophisticated right. than mine. Like I mean, I I, I love melody. And melody and lyrics and guitar noise and basic parts. Are those the types of ideas that you're coming up with and then bringing to DeRosa? Yeah, then? uh-huh. So generally two or three changes are all I have a right for DeRosa. And we, then we, we knock it together and, and make it interesting with their ideas and parts. How are you capturing those ideas when you get them? Are you writing down chord progressions or are you recording humming on the phone or yeah do, I do these days yeah technology I've always kind of went with technology so so when I started writing tunes it was tape four tracks and I've still got baskets of tapes for a four track that I can never listen to again because I don't have a working four track mm. and then I've got mini discs and then I've got so like just whatever and now it's mobile phone is that for are you recording when you're starting to demo stuff or is that just even snippets of ideas you're recording? That's snippets so, and, uh, you know, embarrassing, mumbling and mm-hmm. clicking anything. and Yeah, the stuff that comes out of the ether, just generally just speaking it or singing it in my phone, mm-hmm. which I think is quite a common thing for people to do these days. I know a couple of friends that do that, use that as well. It's so convenient. Yeah, I do that as well. I've been recently going through my ideas when I was only writing it down and found stuff like uh, C, D, E minor riff. And I'm like, <laughs> what Like, what does that go like? I have no idea. Totally. That, mm. uh, actually, for every hundred ideas I record on my phone, I probably listen to back to about 10 of them. Uh, it's, I know it's weird. It's, it's like, it's like taking my diary, but never reading it. Uh, generally, the act of, of just do, doing it Help, I remember it anyway. Mm. Very rarely do I go through and listen to them. Probably should a bit more. But. That that can almost be a threshold of I'm not going to record a bad idea, so you're only recording <laughs> the good ones. It's, like, it's almost like self, uh, a kind of, uh, what's the word? Uh, Darwinistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, only the good ideas survive. Yeah, a bit. Are you writing on a specific instrument? Well, first of all, are you getting ideas that you're just a melody's coming into your head because I always find that's interesting that does or happen, yeah. are you playing guitar and then that's what you're writing on I think it 
now more than ever it's ideas come into my head like melodies come into my head whereas in the past just out of nowhere guitar. where you've yeah. not been playing mm-hmm. anything and it's kind of that worries me because I'm always convinced I must be stealing this for somewhere you know it's like I must have heard this mm. um, but yeah certainly the last last Rose album and the newer uh, bits of Henry Fleetwood and stuff like that some of that's kind of come out of thin air as they say mm. just like the the vocal melody yeah vocal stuff and I don't know sometimes you, sometimes you get a picture for the style of the music and that's how <laughs> it's a challenge to sing into your phone mm. <laughs> boom you know are you trained at all can you now, write um, music I learned how to play guitar from my father when I was wee. Um, he made me do guitar lessons um, for, and I hated it. But he made me do lessons when I was like primary school age, um, and I finally convinced him to stop giving me guitar lessons. By the time I got to about eleven or twelve, um, it, and he would re- he would reward me when I got to certain grades and levels by buying me Star Wars and Lego <laughs> and stuff like that. Right. Um, but the good thing was that once, if we keep going back to it, once Nirvana came along and made me interested in music, I could play the guitar already. Mm. Um, I could read music, but I stopped reading music um, just because I was a wee punk and thought it was a lot of shit. <laughs> that was very similar to my experience. I was getting formal, more like classical acoustic guitar lessons but then I was getting into Nirvana, yeah. so I was like, I want to play the solo from Not Smells Like Teen Spirit, some other thing, and I had the songbook, so I took that along to like my classical <laughs> guitar teacher who was teaching me like finger-picking Hey Jude and stuff, and she's like, yeah. we can't, even though you're giving me the tab for this, you're at the wrong place. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah for me, academically, I gave, I gave up in music in, at second year at school. I didn't choose it as a subject because it had, it had just had nothing about it that I was interested in. What was it that put you off it? Was it just how formal it was? It wasn't the style of music that you wanted to do? I don't even think it was that. I think it was probably more that the, the kind of thing that I was interested in creating, I knew just from looking in that it wouldn't be rewarded, it wouldn't be a, applauded or um, even encouraged in that system of grades and exams and mm. classical leading towards the conservatoire kind of you know trajectory I mm. knew that there was you know I was interested in in you know that visceral kind of thing that when, when somebody connects with an instrument you know and, and it's got nothing to do with it's, like, it's just got all to do with the moment you know it's got nothing to do with what's gone before or you know mm-hmm. music written in paper did you want to be in a band at that time? Were you in a band at that time? Yeah, I, I started bands. Yeah, we high school bands and stuff. Were yeah. you thinking of that as a career option, or was never. that not even your mind? In your mind, yeah. never, never ever crossed my mind that I would ever make money for music. Hmm. <laughs> ever. Or how did Derosa come about? Derosa had a really complicated and difficult start. I went down into visual art. I went to Glasgow School of Art and so I was kind of in that whole thing studying for a few years and so I was about 22 I think, 23 when I left and DeRosa had been on the go sort of through art school but could never really devote what the time that I wanted to to it. 
So after art school, it became kind of more serious, and I, I pretty much did De Rosa um, full time for two or three years, and I had a bit uh, during that time. The only kind of constant was me and Neil, the drummer. Like there was so many different lineup changes and mm. stuff. Probably about three different De Rosas before we got to the point where we were ready to record a first album, um, of which we recorded about two thousand four. 2005, across those two years, yeah. And um, during the album, that's when Neil's brother came in, and eventually our other guitarist, Chris, um, and by the time the album was released, that was De Rosa. Mm. And it pretty much stayed like that until fairly recently. And we had uh, eventually Andy Bush and keyboards to make it a five-piece, and now we're back to the original three-piece of me, James Mm. and Neil. Why why was that? Why did uh, Andy and Chris... Leave. Just the, well, it was more like they, they didn't come back together. Really, we can't. They, we did all get back together for a gig. They just didn't show um, up, and then it, it was really distance because like they, uh, Chris lives in London and has got a kind of pretty difficult, uh, busy career hmm. at the moment. And uh, Andy is still in music, but he tours around a lot doing sound for bands. And hmm. I think Andy and Chris they, they were eager to keep contributing, but I think that. Um, you know, sometimes life gets in the way a wee bit. So, I mean, they're still very much collaborators, I think, and there was in the future. Mm. What's the writing process then? You're coming with ideas, you've got your phone of recorded mumblings, <laughs> and are you bringing that to a practice? No, and, uh, I, I, I do like to bring pretty good sounding demos. Mm. So I do flesh things out a bit, and... and, and, and are you fleshing them out as tracks with drums and bass yeah. and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff? So, like, I'm pretty into recording, or I was for a while. I don't do, get a chance as much. So my demos are probably going downhill a little bit mm. at the moment. But Did you work as a recording engineer for? Briefly, yeah. Right. I Where was that pa- at? Uh, it used to be Chem 19. It's Gargle Blast Studios in Hamilton. Mm. Um, part-time there for you know a year or something like that, but just doing bits and bobs. And I recorded the Henry and Fleetwood EP recently as well so I know right. a bit but I'm not an mm-hmm. amazing all singing all dancing engineer <laughs> competent enough to put yeah. together a demo yeah so, so I, I enjoy fleshing things out um, and and that sometimes helps other musicians to get an idea at least of the sensibility of where I would like their part to go so sometimes yeah there is some some influence for me in mm-hmm. terms of what I would like the others to do but um, I'd say about half the time they, they, they've they come up with stuff that's so much better that, that the original thing kind of just disappears you know hmm. so you're not taking like a dictator approach of no. here's this thing I wrote I'd prefer if you play it like this rather no, I'm than a, I'm a I'm a Zeta male I'm just like <laughs> so far down the pecking order yeah <laughs> <laughs> who's top pecking order in the Rosa <laughs> No, we're actually quite democratic. It's right. really good these days, especially the three. The dynamic of the three is really nice and close mm. at the moment. We've just started a new project where we're, we're writing a bunch of music for, um, inspired by a local museum collection. And um, it's the first time we've really written, just the three of us. And we've got a kind of bunch of things going, and it's been so much fun. Like, no pressure, just really free what stage is that just now then or are you getting demos together or are you just jamming it out in the studio yeah we're we're still yeah pretty much jamming and i'm kind of working on some lyrical stuff yeah it's just finding what styles work with 
kind of feel of the the content. The museum we're working with is Summerlee uh, Heritage mm. Museum, I think it's called. Mu- no, Summerlee Museum of Industrial Life in Coatbridge, and they invited us to come over and rummage through their collection and and uh, see how that maybe appealed to us. And me, in terms of a songwriter who's written music about, you know, referenced um, the industrial past of where we came from. A few songs of Mend and stuff that mention places mm. in Lanarkshire and events. Hattonbrig pit disaster. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So that, I think that's why the museum got in contact with us. That must be interesting where you're given a subject then. I, I guess the museum's probably been pretty broad in that they're not asking to write about this specific tractor or whatever's in the museum. <laughs> um, it's amazing. Creatively, it's, it's just the only brief is... Um, come and use our collection be creative, to be creative you know they just want to open up the museum to um, a band for a change just you know just to see what we do um, so there's a few are different are recording in the museum? I'm not sure about that yeah we're going to perform in the museum eventually hmm. um, that, so that's going to be the kind of cumulative thing that we're building towards but we're as a band, we're approaching it in quite a few different ways, so that's why it's kind of open at the moment. So there's some instrumental things. We're actually sampling sounds and stuff and machinery and bits and bobs, mm. uh, really experimental stuff. And then there's other stuff where I'm, I'm re- in January, I'm going to be going into the North Lancashire uh, archives and looking at family and stories and various uh, newspapers and stuff like that. So there will be a more kind of um, heritage kind of um, theme to the lyrics, you know, looking at past, looking at the past and a real lyrical, something mm-hmm. that I maybe don't do um, off my own kind of back in terms of lyric writing. So really looking at a story and, and figuring out how we're going to make this story. I song. would have said, I'm, I'm not sure of any other examples apart from Hattonrig, uh Pit Disaster, but there is, yeah, like references to, to where you're from. Yeah. Is that being done deliberately then? Like this project with the museum sounds as if that's a more deliberate process. You're looking for things that are inspiring you, but just to stick on Hattonrig Pit Disaster, was that something where you're reading this story and you were thinking, that's like a story worth telling, or I, that would make a good folk song? Yeah, I, I, I can't really remember writing <laughs> but it was a while ago. I remember reading the story, finding the story, and I, I was really, really looking for a way to connect with where I was from because I felt like it was, and it's in that part of Lanarkshire still is. It's it's kind of sometimes feels culturally kind of excluded and separate. And I just wanted, you know, I'd never heard these places or the streets or the the villages around there referenced in song. Um, I think the only people, the only person is maybe a guy called Peter Nardini. If, I don't know if you've heard of Peter Nardini's. Nardini's. Yeah. I know Nardini's ice know, cream could place. Be, could be, I don't know if there's any relation, but he, mm. he's a songwriter for Lan- I don't know whereabouts in Lanarkshire, but he, like a lot of his music references Lanarkshire places and it's a good kind of wit and humour about it as well and, and a good bit of uh, like romanticism as well, you know, like it's, these places are as valid as anywhere, you mm. know, and Hattonrig Pit Disaster specifically, I was born like on the Hattonrig Road and like that's where I'm from. So 
and just the fact that there was you know this tragic thing that and it and it was related to class as well that that was something that that only now I'm starting to realize that I was interested in you know I'd never mm. thought of myself as being political but you know I think that that was you know setting versus you know us as class you know and as an underclass and stuff like that so very I wrote it when I was very young but mm. Well, you're saying like earlier that music comes first. So how are you writing lyrics? Lyrics are really hard most of the time. Something like Hatton Rig Pit Disasters, like when you find a story, it's like a gift because it's like f- free lyrics. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, whereas sometimes you get a great song and you're like, what? You know, it's, it's, it's a challenge, you know, to sit down and write lyrics for a song. Still is. For, I've happened at writing songs is... For twenty years. Why is why is that? What, are are you seeing the challenge that this song has to be about something? Is that what's hard about it? I can't. I because it depends on your frame of mind in the moment, and sometimes you can get into that frame of mind that this is a song, and you've got all these this baggage, you know, of what a song is, and sometimes if, if you've been in it a, lot, a wee while doing a few albums like me, you've got the baggage of what you've done before as well. Um. What was nice about the new DeRose album is that I I went through a phase of kind of being really free, feeling really free to just sing and I didn't worry about meaning. I, did, I really didn't for most of that album. And I really, I'm really happy with what I sung. And theme, thematically, it's quite natural that little things come out, but there was no conscious decision to write songs about things with this new DeRosa record I think that that's a more freeing and creative way to write it because if you start thinking about that especially you're like song one of a new album and you've wrote maybe a couple lines of a verse and then if you start trying to think about oh what's this song going to be about oh, I know. and then if you've wrote a few songs then you're trying to think oh what's the theme of the album going to be about I, I think it is better if you're spotting that stuff afterwards totally. like you realise like a year later, oh, that was an album about that. I totally didn't realise that. That's yeah, that's how it should be, isn't it? Because then you show that you've you've existed in that moment, you know, as a songwriter. And I think that you should be in the moment, responding to the music and and whatever feelings, whatever. And if you can do that, then I think you're laughing because yeah, this song. That's what's difficult about writing songs about history or about stories and for mm. me anyway some people thrive in that you know every song's a story and Billy Bragg maybe yeah and I love those people I love mm. Billy Bragg Springsteen and all that like amazing but it's not me not most of the time anyway mm. are you finding yourself doing anything repeatedly in your songwriting or is there anything that you catch yourself doing oh there's that thing mm-hmm. I do again. A minor. A minor, yeah. <laughs> me too. For Sounds me, it's great, like C, it's... A minor. C, A minor, G. I think I could write like a billion albums with just those chords. <laughs> that, that A minor, I overuse it. Because in terms of just picking up a guitar, it's where my voice sits. Actually, I've realised that G sharp minor is bang on. It's like so mm. much, so comfortable it may sing there. Right. But it's more the, it's kind of an in between kind of key, you know. Mm. Uh, but actually, there's a couple of tunes in the new record which are around about there. In terms of 
maybe more interestingly, lyrically, I deliberately repeat myself. I do that quite a bit. I, I recycle lyrics and and I, I don't worry about it. I think that, I think that's an interesting thing to do. What do you mean by recycle lyrics? Are you using lyrics that have been in songs already? Yeah, there's quite a few, and ah. it's not like I'm not talk, not even sentences like phrases and stuff. Have you got an example of that? Uh, there's a song on prevention called Flight Recorder and it's seasonally affected by words and numbers and that comes up a couple of songs as a line about being seasonally That whole affected. phrase or just uh, seasonally words affected? And num- just a couple of, that seasonally affected and the phrase words and numbers comes up in a few things uh, there's, there is there are several I can't mm. think of them off the top of my head but, but those those I don't like sound that. yeah I, I've i got a couple of examples of those as well but I you seem to be looking at that as a as a positive thing then that's something you're doing yeah. that you quite like doing it's funny a guy asked me a guy asked me a couple of interview questions the other night and he was kind of like pulling me up on it you know and I was like yeah it's, that's a that's cool it's like my language you know it's that's my was he being critical? Yeah, I don't know. No, I, just, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just took it like that. Yeah. Um, he's like, a, I really like that. I love the fact that it's my world, you know, and I can, it's my wee world, and I've got my own little kind of language phrase book, you know. Hmm. I think it's okay to steal from yourself. Yeah. It's when you start stealing <laughs> from other people, that's when it's not okay. Is there anything you do repeatedly that you don't like doing right, that you're I, seeing like? I guess oh. structure. Structure. Like I'm very much like, I need to write in really simple chunks mm. to in order just to get the the melodies and stuff out and figure out the counter melodies and where things are going to sit. So, yeah, I'd say the thing that I don't like is that like we said before, like I I tend to come to the band with a lot of like intro, verse, chorus, verse, mm. chorus, change kind of things. And but as I said before, I'm lucky to have a lot of really uh, and talented kind of arrangers around me who help me put stuff together in an interesting Would you way. like to write more songs that are more complex in structure? Is that I, th- I think I will, yeah. I'm going to do another solo album soon and that will hopefully continue that process of learning for me. How are you sectioning off ideas or allocating ideas to, oh, here's an idea that's that suits Martin John Henry, the solo album's Here's an idea that that suits Henry Fleetwood. Mm. That's that fits DeRosa. That's an that is interesting. I guess I try not to do it too much, you know. But sometimes naturally, it, it kind of follows. It falls like that. No, I've noticed that things that are slightly more humorous are going towards Martin John Henry, uh, or throwaway or light-hearted, and things that are a bit more serious and a bit more like this is you know proper. Mm. Indie band music, right. <laughs> and then things where you have a harp idea, you're yeah. like, hmm, "Well, I wonder where this well, could go." Well, that's different because Jill and I we write generally together, and um, that's quite that's a really different process. Mm. We, As in, you're in the same room yeah, coming up with ideas. I've, I'd never done that before, so we we really invent um, together, um, and usually the only thing done separately is lyrics, yeah, but. Yeah, we've been really successful at lyrics. Uh, Up until this point, yeah. But Jill's, uh, we're going to do an album and Jill will be contributing a bit more like that. Keeping busy, because that must be, so you've just got a DeRose album coming out, you're working on a new one. 
and then you're working on the March yeah, journey. Yes, it's, it's going to be a busy year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I've got yeah children, a, a baby anyway, <laughs> to look after and a job as well. Mm. So. Where did you record the latest The Rose album, which I don't think we've named yet? It's called Weem. We went on holiday and recorded it. Uh, took a desk and recording gear and we went to, first of all, just a holiday let up in, in a village called Weem in Strathtay, which is a, a really nice, a really important place for me because my family used to holiday there when we were kids and uh, it's a, it's a, I, love it. I love that place. Um, and then we fin- went for another kind of couple of weeks session in, in uh, the cottage studio, which is in uh, Inverary, Cairndow. It's a croft there. It's, it's a really cool studio, which is uh, totally self-sufficient. Kind of makes its own electricity and stuff. Hmm. And we finished most of the track there, and then bits and pieces in Glasgow. And then it went to get mixed uh, by Andy Miller at uh, Gargle Blast Studio in Hamilton. Was it, he involved in the production at all? No, because he produced both uh, Mend and Prevention, didn't he? Yep, he did, and he's a good friend of mine, Andy. Um, but we. At the start, just wanted to change up everything and just just be the band, mm. and uh, so that I think it was that was important that we would, we tracked it on our own, and we it was just you guys of, are in charge yeah, of the engineering we, 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 we just production. Enjoyed enjoyment was really important. Staying up late, doing whatever we like, and just recording, drinking, holidaying, and um, coming back, and then Andy had to make sense of it all, um, which I don't I don't envy him, and he did it so quickly as well, and I think he really. He got the best out of it because there was a few songs that we had, you know, there were like a hundred tracks and stuff. <laughs> it's like right. We had went crazy, and it was his job so, to whittle it down yeah, into something it, yeah. that made sense. And it does. Uh, it, it sounds layered. Um, hopefully, it doesn't sound too busy to other people's ears. Yeah. The first two albums, then, were they more formally recorded in yeah. Chem Nineteen uh, with Andy? Other two producing? albums were like, yeah, and studio rates and. Well, what was that pro- uh, process like in contrast? It was really good, um, mainly because I didn't at that time. I was, I was just saw myself as this as a songwriter and a singer. I didn't worry too much about mm. other people's money, <laughs> <laughs> and I was just I enjoyed it. Yeah, but um, uh, so there was two labels involved in those two albums. Did Gargle Blast have it initially? Then? I think that Gargle Blast had. Uh, basically signed us for two albums so Chemical licensed the two both albums off right. of Gargle Blast Records which made it quite complex actually hmm. um, so that's all, what, an, another thing that was it, that it's nice to be on one label now like right um, and that's Rock Action just now yeah, isn't it yeah Rock Action really exciting you guys had recorded stuff finished the album did you so, take it to Andy Miller first aye, of all Andy got before? it in and then it was, so it was mixed in January and went to get mastered. And then when it came back, I, I just approached like three labels that I really like at the same time. And it was Rock Action, Chemical and Lost Map. And uh, Lost Map, Chemical were really nice about it, but they were both, we've got so much on, we can't do it. And Rock Action, were like, yeah, we like it, Let's put it out. So uh, we know Mogwai and stuff and it's really nice to have them confident enough in it to put it out yeah. Barry Burns played keyboards on Prevention didn't he yep yep piano and keyboards and bits and bobs that was great yeah hmm. what was it like to jump back a bit then what was it like working with Andy Miller as a producer you said you were coming in the studio as I'm a songwriter I'm not really thinking about this this other stuff uh, was he coming in with lots of 
like structural ideas and oh it would be good if this instrument was here what and level was he getting involved Andy's, in Andy's really uh, a, a close friend of mine because he, he was kind of like a mentor for DeRosa at the start like we're talking about 2003, 2004 when we were just starting because um, Andy was working for Chem Underground and their studio and we were rehearsing there nights just when we were starting out and Andy would hear bits and bobs and you know compliment us and stuff and eventually gave us was like I want to put out your first single on in Gargle Blast Records on their label so Andy was like totally encouraging but never like overstepped the mark and always like like Andy's got amazing ideas but um, he's really sensitive to what you want out of him you know and and he was really I think happy just to he was, he's the producer and the engineer and stick to his kind of audio kind of stuff and leave the songwriting to us no Andy I think recognised that we had our own thing going and he's quite happy just to enjoy recording us you know that sounds a lot well first of all that sounds like a good producer second of all that sounds a lot like Steve Albini's method of when he's recording bands I guess he's more of an engineer but uh, he just wants the band to sound like the band yeah and if someone comes up to him after he's recorded an album and said, yeah, that, that really has a Steve Albini sound, then he says he's failed right, aye, because aye. it should just sound like the band. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, we, we definitely come from the same kind of... Andy and I, and, and we're really into a lot of Steve Albini stuff and things like that. And, and I think, like you say, not in terms of style, but in terms of approach and, and that, you know, capturing... The performance and capturing the it's often the sound of the room and stuff like that as well. In the first record. How did it work on the new album then? Um, the new album was pretty much like a mix of like because I had got my home recording kind of stuff up to a certain level. Probably about three or four of the songs were done taking my demo in and actually redoing drums and getting a good drum sound over the top of my demo, replacing mm. bits, using bits of the demo. So some of it was kind of put together like that and others was done a bit like, were done a bit like Mend, where we set up, recorded basic kind of tracks, live tracks. So to jump back about, we're talking about working with Andy Miller, was that how Chemical sort of came around then, just because of that link? Yeah. And, uh, then, what, and then what was it like working what, with Chemical? Um. Well... It came about because they heard the funny it was Hatton Rig Pit Disaster, I think. Hmm. They heard maybe the, the Hatton Rig Pit Disaster and another tune while we were recording it for Andy's label at the time. And they were just starting out. Um, and so before it was finished, really, that they had said we'd like to put it out. But um, so they, they came to an agreement and to license it. Chemical were great. I mean, I'm such a big fan of the label and the Delgados that um, I, I think it, we would all say it was probably a bit frustrating to work with two labels hmm. it's hard uh, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know why specifically probably just ultimately an accountability thing you know where does the kind of the, the responsibility lie for you know who actually owns this thing who's, who's, who's in charge yeah a wee bit around that time then how, how did touring work because you guys toured a bit in Europe didn't you yeah, hi. We did a fair amount. Yeah, touring's always been hard for us. Uh, we only really had an agent towards the end of that first phase of the Rosa, where we was 
from about 2006 to 2009 when we kind of split up. So we only had an agent for like the last few dates. The rest of it we booked on our own and with our manager. Uh, and yeah, at that time we were just sending out emails and con- making contacts and we had, we, had, we really could do it at that point. Mm. You know, we could we could just go out and book our own tours. We had we had the contacts. We did a yeah, we worked pretty hard. Is live performance a thing you enjoy? Is there uh, an aspect I you, want to? <laughs> you want to? I want to enjoy it. Uh, yeah, we, we, we've played three gigs in about two years, so mm. we're just starting to get back into touring and stuff. So. I have saw you play a couple of times solo. What was that like? Was that a big change from performing live with a band, or was that something you'd done before and do it you wasn't mean, really concerning you? Do you mean like me just me and a guitar? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Agnes Obel, I think you toured with. That's right. I, I enjoyed those gigs, yeah. I used to really not enjoy the acoustic gigs because I don't think... I, I, I'm really that good to play the acoustic guitar. It and, seems and it's like, like that's a lot of the Rosa songs can be stripped back to that core of yeah. acoustic and guitar, but you're, you're just I, I not... I know, it's funny. You I just don't, don't like your own... Comp- or don't think you're competent enough. I, I think it's probably more like that... I, whenever I book, used to book an acoustic gig, I'd be like, cool, I don't have to rehearse for that because it's an acoustic gig. And then I would get there and I'd be like... Oh, all oh, right. Yeah. This is why you rehearse. So, is, so that's probably why I didn't enjoy a lot of them. Hmm. Um, so having though played with in a more stripped back thing with Jill, with acoustic and harp, I'm really starting to feel a bit more like okay, like liking the acoustic. I, I don't really sit in the house and play acoustic guitar. You know, I play electrics most of the time. It's interesting that your concern seems to be the stripped back element of it rather than. I'm up the stage on my own, which I think most people would say that that's the most terrifying thing. Right, I've yeah. not got the band behind me. I know you're saying you're playing with mm-hmm. Jilly in there, but that's not something that troubles you then. No, I don't. I don't like people looking at me, but I never get nervous. It's like it's a body thing, and it's not to do with music. Like, cause I'm quite. That's what I want to do. I mean, I go to work and I do boring, mundane things. So when I'm playing music, that's the that's the bit that I enjoy. You mm. know what I mean? So, yeah. So like, you're totally comfortable with, I'm with totally playing a fine song. With playing a song, and, and I'm I, and I'm even fine being rubbish. I'm am fine making mistakes. I don't get embarrassed. I mean, the only thing I get embarrassed is people looking at my face. You know, I just does public speaking bother you at all? Yeah, I think I'd find that hard. I don't like. We're probably f- famous for a lack of chat because. Mm. Sometimes and and then I overcompensate by being stupid, you know, saying stupid things and swearing and like right. people do and they're nervous. And so I, whenever I open my mouth, I generally cringe afterwards. You know? <laughs> so yeah, stage banter's hard. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I I tend to try and maybe work up a couple of anecdotes. I think that's yeah. I, I think that's what I need to do. And I, but then I also think that's not very me, you know, to prepare something. But. Mm. Probably should. But you don't need to like prepare it. line for line, but <laughs> if it's it's like you can have a story that you want to talk mm-hmm. about, I yep. think can, that can help rather than like writing down beat for beat what it is you're going to say. Yeah. But those are all very distinct jobs. I find like writing, performing, oh, and aye. recording is the one that you prefer over the others. If you had to just choose one of those, I think it's that I've got it's writing, isn't it? I mean, for me, it's like. Because that's where the the thing that's hard to pin down happens, you know, that, like, where does the idea come from? And 
and I like I like being alone and working alone sometimes, you know, especially that p- part of the process. There's something about that specific part of that spark of the idea. Yeah. That if you could just get as many of those <laughs> as you could, because you don't really, you get nice moments when you're playing live and when you're recording, maybe listening back to it, like, oh, I've, I've captured that. But getting that idea of something you want to write down or record on your phone mm-hmm. of, oh, that's an interesting song idea or that's an interesting melody. Coming up with those things, I think, is always the most fun. Absolutely, yeah. When you're in that moment, you're completely there. You're completely present. There's only a few moments in your life or in your month or whatever that are like that. You're not worrying about what's gone before or what this is for. You're just completely there, you and whatever instrument you're playing. And that is one of the happiest states that I'm in in my life. Because mm. that's just pure creativity. Mm-hmm. Totally. Unfiltered. The next section of the show is called Under the Influence. A piano has been drinking. My nectar is so adds Richard Young's point out in the first episode, this is pr- a pretty cliched question of who are your influences? Who are the guys and girls that you like? Oh, <laughs> it's a really hard question. What I did you know for him, a, a non-cliched um, version of this, I think, is are there any songwriters or bands that you particularly identify with as oh, they sound like me, or oh, they write songs like me? Is there anyone you identify with like well, that? Well, I write songs, like, I probably write songs like people. I can't think of people's songs that write songs like me. <laughs> like, I write... Yeah, well, that, that's, the same, that's the same sort of question, write, I think. You know, I think there's a link between some of the things that I do and maybe Malcolm and Malcolm Middleton mm. or, you know, like Arab Strap and stuff like that. Yeah. Not the darkness or the kind of, the gritty kind of realism. Oh, so you're talking about the that, band, but... the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm, I'm not sure that would so that, Darkness isn't the right word, but I mean, the, yeah. the, you know, the, the, that kind of gritty, more melancholy, the gritty, melancholy stuff, uh-huh. which sometimes I delve into those areas, but maybe stylistically, sometimes I've, you know, borrowed for that kind of stuff. Mm. I, don't, I can't think of any, like, peers that I would say that I'm, do you know there is a band there's a band from Belfast called Desert Hearts that I've, I've briefly played in and uh, like the, the, their songwriter Charles Mooney is just I think he's so talented and and I really felt like a kinship with Charlie when we were playing together and stuff and we we've kind of almost come really close to working together a few times it's something that I'd like to kind of pursue Is that someone who's just like-minded yeah in some ways yeah i think he's got that same kind of like that you know the 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 raw feeling and the the, that raw moment uh, is really important to what they do and i and i totally identify with that just when you're listing off like malcolm middleton i'm just thinking of like you know when you go on last fm and look someone up and you see oh for Scottish people, though, I'm wondering how much of it is just based on location. Yeah, yeah. Like, DeRosa and Malcolm Middleton probably show up close, but is that because uh, yeah, musically they're close together, same. or is it just geographically the postcode's <laughs> the same? Um, you mentioned the, yeah. the Delgados earlier on, um, oh, who, amazing. as far as I know about their breakup, they were frustrated by their lack of... Um, 
success is a not fully encompassing term in this case. Yeah. But they were, I think a lot of us, they were frustrated that they weren't better known. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, I would say that DeRosa is one of the most criminally underrated bands <laughs> in Scotland. And the really strange thing is that you guys have had so much critical acclaim and just other musicians are huge fans of you guys that it's really odd that you, one, you guys aren't better known. It is one of these that I... Like, like I, I was also Googling you guys and the first page of results was some bike company. Aye, <laughs> that's... Oh, I, they're, the, they're the also like a company. super bike. Like, they're like crazy expensive bikes. Right. Like thousands of pounds. Oh, well, I guess that's yeah, I guess not I think so they're bad like, They're like the, the Ferrari of bikes. <laughs> right. I guess that's better than having like the uh, Lada of bikes aye, showing aye. up. Or some other terrible car, but does that frust- <laughs> probably more suitable? <laughs> um, I, I, does that frustrate you though? The fact that Doros aren't better known. I, I lo- it's so flattering when other musicians are interested in mm. your band. I've got like this kind of. I don't have a, a huge amount of confidence or ego about making music. I just enjoy it. Um, so I see these bands that are sophisticated and. Uh, you know, or at least appeared to me to be sophisticated, and they might maybe and say, "I love the Rosa," and I think, "God, you know, why?" <laughs> <laughs> so your, you know, your music's so broad and interesting, and we write depressing little indie tunes. <laughs> mm. So you're not thinking like, "Oh yeah, there's we should be way better known than we are." No, is it not something uh, that bothers like my you band, at all? Then? My band probably are really frustrated with my attitude to success. Mm. Let's put it that way, because I have no ambition whatsoever in terms of success. In fact, I, I don't even. The only success, my only ever ambition musically was to put an album out, and I achieved that when I was twenty-five or whatever. So everything else has just been about like we said earlier, getting back into those moments of creativity mm. and happiness. Don't get me wrong, I'd love to be going about and playing loads of gigs and, you know, making a living off of music and all that, mm. but at the Buying same time... Buying a few DeRosa bikes I know, that's fill it. those millions. At the same time, I'd never, ever let... Nah, I just... I'm happy making music and whatever else comes of it is a bonus. Before this started, we were talking and just there are so many, like you say, people who are like basically to me superheroes you know total like like Aiden and Malcolm and all that lot like just people who are like for me stars you know mm. um, and you know just living quite normal lives maybe not having the success that most people would call success I think as a musician the only thing you're in control of is making music that you like and um, that's, uh, that's the only probably thing it. That, that's that probably comes quite close to my attitude I think you know it sounded quite sounds quite like I'm just like I have no commercial ambition but it probably comes down more to that like Stuart Lee he won a, a couple of British comedy awards and something he said that got cut from the broadcast actually hmm. he was asked oh are you you must be really ecstatic and really excited about having this success and he said can't really be excited or happy about it because that would be like being like happy that it's sunny outside and like annoyed when it's raining. It's <laughs> something he has no control over. That's what we're talking about. Sorry, I just lost that chain of thought. Yeah. Why would you pin down all your hopes and energies on something which is totally random? 
like 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 that type of success that we're talking about. Mm. Like, you know, it's basically comes down to what like fashion, you know, what people pick up on, what some you know, there's so many variables, it's like chaos theory, you know. Like why would you pin down your your hopes and dreams to that? Why not keep it to the stuff that you, that you can control or you Absolutely. know does occur in your processes in your head or whatever. The next section of the show is called Under Construction. So we've set up your guitar here and the idea for this section is to showcase an idea they have in progress or something that's not quite finished. Yep. This is called, well, I think it's going to be called A Whispering Way. Um, and it's I mean, it's not for anything specific. It's just a tune which is on its way. Um, so it'll maybe let you hear a bit like what my tunes sound like before they come to the band how much of this do you have written so far probably a couple of verses and a couple of choruses really just at this point so it's quite bare Mm. really just melodies and the lyrics are like not final or anything yeah well feel free to reveal as much as you (laughs) wish you don't have to play the whole song yeah I'll play a good chunk of what I've got anyway Thank you. 
desperate That sounds really Roughly. nice. <laughs> Two things. First of all, a minor, I noticed. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. uh, and also, I'm going to take a guess that that's going to be a DeRosa song. Aye. It's yeah. uh, something that we're developing with that other project in mind. So lyrically, I think it could change a fair bit. Mm-hmm. Um, after I've looked at the archives and stuff. Essentially, what I have there is two verses and two choruses, so it still needs the kind of DeRosa band arrangement treatment so mm. it'll probably develop a fair bit just in terms of adding extra instruments on no i think in terms of where things go as well just mm. and probably other parts and mm. sections as well is that the um nylon acoustic that you play on the records or is that something that you write on that it's actually it's a really i don't get too sentimental about instruments but it's just a little kind of toy guitar from the 70s, but I've used it on, like, every DeRosa record. Because hmm. I was about to say, it does sound like that guitar, but again, <laughs> I guess all nylon guitars sound the same. No, yeah, this is the one, yeah, from, yeah, Mend and all that. I've, this is the one I use. When it's got something about it. You know, we're talking guitar talk now, but... Yeah. But it just sounds good, and it's like a 20-quid junk shop guitar. Where did, where did you get that then? An actual junk shop? Yeah. Or? Oh. I think it was for the barras, actually. And now you're going to play a constructed song for us. But before then, plugs. So why don't you all just grab your bag? I'm on board and hoist the anchor. We'll be off. So I'm assuming you're wanting to promote DeRosa's new album. That's going to be the main thing. Yes. Uh, yep. New album, Weem, is coming out on 22nd of January on Rock Action. So what do you want to say about... Um, what will I say about the album? Just sits out now. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to say that? <laughs> uh, DeRosa's new album, can you get it at all good record shops? <laughs> yes. Or... Um, yeah, so... They're, they're, sorry, it's totally messed with my mind mm. that we're talking in the future. Yeah. The Rose's new album's been out for a week to great critical acclaim, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, um, you can get it and it comes in a lovely um, heavyweight vinyl download code and all that, something mm. that we've not had before. Um, and a nice digipack CD, retro CD, cool. but I designed it and it looks great. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Yeah. Sounds like you will have a really busy year next year, though, if you've got um, the, the other projects, stuff coming out for that. Yeah. But things, you don't know any of the release dates for that, I presume. Well, it's tentatively May, there's going to be, not a release date, but a live performance of the the material that we are developing from the, the Summer museum Lee. collection at Summer Lee. So there's going to be a performance on the site in May. Um, that material is probably going to form the new De Rosa album as oh, well. Oh, I see, right. So those so aren't really separate projects. Separate, right? um, but probably recorded soon after the performance, I think. And that'll be interesting as well in terms of process because to actually have material which is developed for live and then recorded as an album, mm. whereas it usually works the other way for us to write and develop and record and then play it so live. So perhaps a more polished album then I don't know but I've more played and performed live anyway mm. 
Not that the other stuff is unpolished. <laughs> now you're going to play a song to close the show. Right, this song's called Prelude to Entropic Doom. Thank you to my guest today, Martin John Henry, and thank you to you for listening. We will be releasing new episodes of Verse Chorus Verse on the first Monday of every month. Sorry, Garfield. So until then, there's nothing more to say, so I'm going to stop talking. Verse Chorus Verse is a production for the Hat on Dog Network. For more information, visit hatondog.com.